cybersecurity, ransomware, hackers attacking your system. Does it happen to the cleaning industry? And if so, how often? And what can you do to prevent it? It's a real concern. And today we're going to dig into this issue and help you make what's yours safe. On the program today, I'm pleased to welcome Larry Dietz, retired as a colonel from the U.S. Army and serves as general counsel for Tau Global Corporation, a firm specializing in security, consulting, and risk management. Welcome, Larry. Thank you for your time today. Jeff, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. It's a pleasure and a privilege to discuss an important topic with an expert like yourself. Our topic today, and Larry's going to expand on this a bit, is security in the cleaning industry, but beyond the typical. We're going to cover cybersecurity issues facing everyone today. So Larry, if you're ready, we'll get started. Okay, let's hit it. All right, first question for you is, how important is this topic of cybersecurity in the cleaning industry? Well, Jeff, I don't have to tell you and the members of the cleaning industry, we all run in our electronics whether it's our iPhones, our iPads, our iMacs, and the thousands of chips and servers and other things we use to make our lives easier every day. And uh, the cyber crooks are out there big time. And we have different flavors of cyber crooks ranging from your normal street side dirt bag uh, to my good friend, Vlad Putin and his contractors. Uh, and most of them are out for mo- one thing, Jeff, they're out for money. And they don't really care what industry the target is in. They're basically interested in getting into a system and being able to get access to information that they can be resold or that they can use that control of that system for their own purposes. Makes sense. Larry, when you deal with companies in general, maybe some of the smaller ones, do you ever see an attitude of we're safe, maybe because it won't happen to us because we're not that important? Does that ever happen? Well, Jeff, candidly, I've seen that attitude from a number of industries and people, uh, not necessarily limited to small business. Uh, Early on in my career, we're talking here the Vietnam era, I was a crypto facility inspector and a lot of these infantry units thought they were just not important. Uh, the Viet Cong, however, thought they were very important. Uh, and organizations, even if they're small business or low profile, uh, think they're not a target. Well, that's not necessarily true. Uh, for example, CEOs, CFOs, and their personal assistants are very popular targets, regardless in the industry because those people have access. They have access to information. They have credibility. Uh, If I can control the uh, system of a personal assistant, I can probably send email out in the name of the principal, the executive. Uh, And that type of scam has resulted in millions of dollars being uh, wired to crooks. And so just because you're low-level guy doesn't mean you're not important. Uh, There's actually a pretty famous uh, security breach, data security breach, happened in 2013 with the Target stores. There were 40 million credit and debit accounts that were compromised. 
and 70 million of Target's customers. Uh, the bad guys didn't get in through the cyber front door. They actually compromised the credentials of a contractor, a heating, ventilation, air conditioning contractor, and that's how they get in. So people should not assume because they're low level or in a non-glamorous industry, they're not targets. Okay, makes sense. You know, um, it's about hijacking a system, I imagine. We hear a facility is under attack and a ransom is asked to get things back online. What are the um, top security risks facing the cleaning industry? Can we speak to the maybe the top targets? What does a hacker look for? What's what's like, oh, that looks like where I'm going to go? Well, a hacker is looking for access. So, uh, for example, uh, people in the cleaning industry have access. They're involved with a lot of very important customers. And so that is important uh, to hackers. Uh, it may be for a piece of the puzzle. So a cleaning industry person, let's say their company does a bank cleans a bank at night when nobody's there. Uh, there may be a way for that in for an individual who works for the cleaning company to have access to the computer to, to get into the building to do this or to do that. And so access is very, very important. Uh, in the security industry, uh, we say we have three principles. There's the people, the process, the technology. And the people are generally the weakest link. So, for example, you may have heard of the term phishing with a PH. Phishing is where a crook, dirtbag of some kind, tries to get a target to do something with an email. And once that person does that, the door is open to the crook. Uh, typically, the most popular scam lately has been ransomware where the hacker gang essentially encrypts all of the data on the target systems and then charges a ransom to provide the key to unlock that data, which they may or may not do. Uh, another area that I think is critical for your industry, frankly, is uh, visitor and contractor security. It is absolutely essential to hold visitors and contractors and anybody else who has access to the facility to the same level of security as your employees on the inside. Uh, social engineering is another big danger because that's people fishing. Uh, I've actually used that one myself where I had uh, a person owed me money and they wouldn't tell me their address. So I called him up and I pretended I was the UPS man and I had a really important package and I needed to deliver it. So they then told me exactly where they were. Mm. And so social engineering, phishing, those are two big ones in terms of dangers and they lead to other things. So you pretended to be a dirtbag for a moment. Yes. Well, I'm also an attorney. Let's not forget that. <laughs> No attorney jokes, I promise. Okay. I have a few, but uh, we'll skip I'll let, that. I'll today. leave that up to you, Larry. Hey, um, good good information. Thank you. Let's talk about the how to avoid topic. What are the steps that facility managers can take to support their buildings and also tenant security of IT systems? And you mentioned 
contractors as well. So can you touch on that? Sure. Well, the first thing you need to know is what state of security you have. And to do that, you need some kind of audit or an inspection. And increasingly, I'm seeing that the National Institute of Standards and Technologies, acronymed NIST, they have a cybersecurity framework. Uh, and it's it's not as complicated as you may think. And I'll, I'll share with you an inside secret about the cybersecurity business. It's not all that hard. It can just be tedious and detailed. <clears throat> and so uh, the NIST framework is a very good uh, standard, as is the International Standards Organization 27001, 27001. And no matter what you do, you, you get a snapshot in time of your IT security. You then compare that to where you should be, and that process is called the gap analysis. And so uh, if I have tenants, for example, one of the things I can do is I can provide the standards. I can provide the NIST framework. I can tell them about the uh, ISO standard. I can even point to industry standards that are relevant in their business. We did say that it doesn't matter if you're a low-level firm in terms of popular, but the clients, the businesses that you your that the ISSA members serve, for example, education, research, healthcare, finance, government, those are very high on the target list. And so if you're if the ISSA members are working with those companies, they need to be extra careful in working with them. And a joint exercise is a good thing to do. And one of the things that bugs me is that there is generally a lack of coordinating physical security with cybersecurity. You, you can't have one without the other. And that would be an important tip for me. Well, thank you, Larry. That makes sense and uh, good information. Those watching hopefully will look at their organizations and make improvements. You know, some might say, though, Larry, that um, I have cyber insurance, so I can kind of relax a bit. Is that the silver bullet of protection? Well, I'm afraid that's not necessarily so. <laughs> and in fact, uh, so the fact that you have insurance and it's widely known may be a reason you'd be attacked. Uh, for example, uh, in July of this year, there was a ransomware gang in England that uh, demanded 500,000 pounds, which they knew was the coverage from the insurance company, cyber insurance, 500,000 pounds. And for you non-math majors, that's about 570,000 bucks. Uh and they thought it would be easy for uh, the, the cyber scammers to, to collect that money, um, but not necessarily. Uh, having cyber insurance doesn't mean the company is going to pay. So uh, two, two simple things here. One, social engineering. If it is determined that access was not by breaking a system, not by hacking, but by social engineering, Cyber insurance companies aren't going to pay. Uh, and there was a, a recent case in uh, Minnesota, actually, uh, where 
there was a $600,000 loss, but the court dismissed the insurance claim. So the victim got nothing. The other area where it's very clear that insurance companies are not going to pay is if the hacker was sponsored by a government, Russia or China. So as we say in the legal business, the mere fact you have cybersecurity insurance doesn't necessarily mean you're going to get paid. That's interesting because a lot of attacks do come from overseas, don't they? Well, overseas uh, attacks, yes. And there are different flavors of those attacks. You have your run-of-the-mill gang. You have professional hacker gangs. You have countries that have very sophisticated uh, cybersecurity uh, offensive uh, capabilities, such as Russia, China, Iran, uh, North Korea, to name some. And then you have uh, transnational criminal organizations uh, that are also involved in hacking. And then you also have subcontractors of the nation states uh, who are working for a government, Russia or China. So there are all kinds of players uh, in the in the field there. Interesting. Something you talked about a bit, but do you have any, any more to add about this? Who's really liable for a cybersecurity breach? Well, that that's actually a little bit more of a difficult uh, question than you might think. Okay. Normally, as an attorney, I would jump right. Oh, negligence. Somebody was negligent. You know, we need to get paid uh, toward action. But uh, so boards of directors, man management, executive management. But so far, we haven't seen that. However, we have seen a new wrinkle, and that is there is a, the former cybersecurity chief for Uber, who is now in criminal court dealing with uh, a cyber breach. Uh, and his defense is he was doing his job. He reported the breach. <clears throat> they paid the ransomware guy um, by saying he was a vulnerability finder, but and uh, the security guy says, I reported it up. And the top management is saying, oh, no. And so it's it doesn't matter who can be liable. There will be a lot of legal action. And only my brothers and sisters in the legal profession will benefit. I call that one, Jeff, the Lawyer's Full Employment Act. <laughs> I've never heard of that one, but I, I understand how that works. Yes. Larry, we think about a cyber breach, uh, stopping operations and all kinds of havoc happening in an organization. Talk about a company's reputation and perhaps their stock price. What can happen there? Well, what we've seen is when there is a cyber breach and there's sensitive information stolen, uh, for example, credit cards, social security numbers, there is a immediate drop in the, in the price. Um, one of the cybersecurity vendors, a little bit of self-serving, but nevertheless, the only data I could find, uh, claims that in 110 market days after the breach, the average target stock price would fall three and a half percent. I think that really varies by industry. Uh, even a small company that's not public may find that the breach actually shatters the confidence that their customers have in them 
And so the revenue drops considerably, which is perhaps more damaging than the stock. But clearly, uh, a breach is kind of like a burglary. A cybersecurity breach says you didn't take good enough care of your data assets. And so that's a cause of concern for stockholders. All right, Larry, um, I guess my last question would be just, do you have any final words of advice for our audience? Anything we might have missed? Well, first of all, I think it's important to have a single point of contact, one focal point for cybersecurity in the organization. And that person has to have the authority, the budget, and the staff to get the job done. And the, and staff, in this case, doesn't necessarily mean employees. It means perhaps hiring a managed security services vendor. But the single point of contact, the chief information security officer, if you will, needs to understand the security posture of the organization, where they need to be, and have a dynamic plan to make sure that the organization is going forward. I would also say it's important to do exercises every once in a while just to test things and see how they work, particularly breach notification, because uh, all the 50 states, and perhaps soon the federal government, have data breach laws about disclosure of a breach. So you need to have all of that. Uh, and if you're a chief executive or a senior executive and you're not a techie, make sure that your security people are explaining the situation in language you can understand. And above all, 